Hey, today I'm excited to start a new sermon series. I appreciate the three weeks that uh, you let me take away from preaching for a little while. I didn't, I didn't miss. I was here. I was in the church. Uh, and I just got blessed by being able to be here and to worship alongside of you. But today I'm excited that we're starting a new sermon series called Church on the Move. We're going to be in the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible today, just go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1. We are literally right now a church that is on the move. On this campus, we're living out of cardboard boxes and closets. And over there at the new campus where we'll be probably in 100 days or so, give or take, um, we just had chairs for the new sanctuary delivered last Friday and they're stuffed in closets over there. So we really are a church on the move as we stand here today. And that's exciting. But let me be clear. We're not going to stop moving. We can't stop moving. The church cannot stop moving. When we get to Shadow Lake, that's not the goal. That's not the destination. In fact, I would say once we get there, we really have just started moving. We are part of a movement, and movements move. That's what they do. we got to keep moving forward. The church that we read about and that we're going to see today in the book of Acts is a church that is a movement, and it's on the move. And that movement in the book of Acts is built around that group of people had a conviction A burning conviction in their heart that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God very God, entered into this world and put on human flesh. This movement was fueled by that conviction. This movement in the book of Acts was fueled by the conviction that Jesus, God in flesh, lived a perfect and he lived a sinless life. And that he died in our place to save us both from God and for God. To save us from the wrath of God and to save us for the kingdom of God. This movement of these people were driven by this conviction that not only did Jesus die to provide our salvation, but they were driven by the conviction that God raised him from the dead. They were driven by this conviction that not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but that he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father and that there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. This movement called the church that we're going to learn about out of the book of Acts that continues down into your life and to my life today is a movement that's driven by this conviction of who Jesus is and what he did and what he's about to do, what he's going to do in the near and in the distant future. And the church in the book of Acts was a movement. I want you to understand that. And when we read of the church in Acts, if you're reading in the original language that it was written in, we think a man by the name of Luke, who was probably a doctor, a physician. We believe he wrote this book. And when he wrote it, he wrote it in the Greek language. And the word church that we see for church there in the Greek is the word ekklesia. He would write that word ecclesia every time we see the word church. That word ecclesia just simply means a a congregation or an assembly or a gathering of people who have been called out together around a common purpose or common idea or common mission. In other words, the church in Acts was an assembly of people, a gathering, a congregation of people who were called out by God around this conviction that Jesus Christ, God, very God, came into the world to save sinners, died, was buried, was risen again, ascended into heaven, and that he is the head of this church and that he has called us, his redeemed men and women, to go into the world and to make disciples of all nations. That's what we understand this word ecclesia means here in the book of Acts. The church in Acts was a church on the move. It was a movement. A movement. Something unfortunate, though, happened. People started thinking of the church not as a movement. People started thinking of church as a place. They started to think of church as a place that you would go to as religious people to gain religious goods and services. In fact, our English word church doesn't come from the word ecclesia. It comes from the German word kirch, which means a sacred place. A sacred place where you would gather for religious purposes. And this shift in thinking about church had a sad impact on the world. The church became an institution, not a movement. It became an institution, a place where people would go and they would experience religious things. 
And as institutions typically do, this institution began to be controlled by powerful people who had their own ideas and their own purposes and their own agendas. This went on for a while until about 500 years ago when God raised up a bunch of men and women that you and I today, we call them the Reformers. A leader in the Reformation, his name is William Tyndall. Tyndall was convinced that the church never was intended by God to be an institution. Tyndall understood from the scriptures that the church was to be a movement, an assembly, a gathering, a congregation of people who have been called out by God, for God, for the purposes of God. And Tyndall knew if people are going to be a part of this movement, they have to know the message of the movement. And the problem was, in Tyndall's day, people didn't have Bibles like you and I have them today. They were all in Latin, and they were chained to the pulpits in the churches. And so what Tyndall knew had to be done is, he had to translate the scripture into the English language. He wanted, he said, even the poorest plowboy to know the message of the word of God. That's what God had been burning in his heart to do. And here's what Tyndall did is he was translating the Bible into English. Every time he got to that word ecclesia, he didn't call it church. Because when people would see the word church, they would think a place. They would think that institution. Tyndall, more accurately, I believe, translated that word ecclesia with the word congregation. Every time you would come to that word ecclesia, he calls it congregation because Tyndall wanted people to know church is not simply a place where you go as a religious person to give and receive religious goods but church as we read about in the word of God is a movement it's a movement of people who have been called out together by the grace of God for the purpose of God for the mission of God now Tyndall's actions as you might imagine they infuriated the leaders of the institutional church this threatened their grip, right? This threatened their power hold. This threatened their ability to be able to control and manipulate the people. And so eventually they had Tyndall arrested. And they put him on trial. And they found him guilty of being a heretic. Which just simply means they said, you're teaching things that are unbiblical. And so his punishment was not a slap on the wrist. They strangled him to death. And they burned him at the stake. Tyndall died because he had a passion that people in this movement would know what the message is. So that they would be able to give their lives as he gave his life in this movement for Jesus who is supremely worthy. People want to say, and we heard this a lot last year, that church is not a place. Church is not a gathering. That's not true. Other extremes would say church is a place. That's what it is. Well, that's not true either. It's both and. There's this divine rhythm in the ecclesia of gather and scatter and gather and scatter and gather and scatter. We gather to build each other up in Christ, to edify one another in the Lord so that we are better equipped and strengthened to scatter into the world, taking the light, the love, the hope of Jesus to a lost and a dark and a hurting world, to share the hope that we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and to do as Jesus has called us to do, to make disciples of all nations. Grace Life, listen, this is why I'm telling you today, I know we're about to move, but we are not about to be finished with moving. We've got to keep moving. We can't stop moving. If we quit moving... If we go over there and say, okay, the country club is complete. This is all about us. This is for us. If we stop moving, we're no longer a part of the movement. Movements move. So how did this movement begin? Well, that's what the early part of the book of Acts is going to show us. It all begins right here in Acts chapter 1. If you've ever said, hey, where did this whole thing of church come from? How do we get here? What's all this about? Today we're only going to get to see maybe the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. We're not even going to do those justice. I'm already kind of feeling like I'm going to have to put a second coat of paint on that probably again next week. But here's what I want you to see. If you're really paying attention to these first 11 verses, this is important. You may have never noticed this before if you've read Acts chapter 1 before. 
Jesus is in every single verse. Every single verse of those first 11 verses. Why? Because this movement is about him. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about grace life. It's not about shadow lakes. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. He is what it is all about. Who he is. And what he's done. And what he's doing. And what he's going to do. And Somebody just said, well, who, who is he? And what did he do? And what, what is he doing? And what's he going to do? I, I told you once, and I'll tell you again. I'm never going to get tired of telling you this. In fact, I'm pretty passionate about this. I'm not, I, I don't feel pressure that I've got to tell you a million things from the Bible. I'm going to tell you one thing a million times. Jesus is God, Son of God, took on flesh, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, died in our place, sinners such as us, so that we could be saved from the coming wrath of God against sin, saved both from God and to God. God raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven where right now he is praying for his people as the head of this movement. That's what he is, the head of this movement, the church. And I believe at any moment he's coming back for his church. He's going to usher in the last days of this old earth that in these days we're living in, y'all, let's be honest. It is just trying to make it in such pitiful ways. I, I just look around at what the world's trying to do to save itself, and it's just sad. It's just pitiful. But Jesus soon is going to make a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to get to live and fellowship with him forever. That's who he is. That's what he's done. That's what he's doing. That's what he's going to do. And this movement called the church is all about him. It's all about him. Let me ask you just kind of a gut check question. If the movement is all about him. Is grace life in the movement? If the movement is all about him, are you in the movement? Are we collectively defined as the people who are all about him? You as a person, is your life Defined by Jesus? Or do you just simply show up at the church? At the place? You're just a part of the institution. You're just kind of going through the motions of exchanging religious goods and services. Or are you part of the ecclesia, this gathering assembly of the people of God who have been called out by God to carry out the mission and the purpose of God? This movement's all about Jesus. And if you don't believe me, let's get to reading. Verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he, that's Jesus, was taken up. After he, that's Jesus, had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he, that's Jesus, had chosen. He, that's Jesus, presented himself, that's Jesus, alive to them after his, that's Jesus, suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he, that's Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, that's Jesus, said, You heard from me, Jesus, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said, well, Jesus isn't in verse 5. That's because Jesus is talking in verse 5. It's the quote of Jesus here. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, that's Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he, that's Jesus, said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, that's Jesus, witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he, that's Jesus, had said these things as they were looking on, he, Jesus, was lifted up, and a cloud took him, that's Jesus, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he, that's Jesus, went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him, that's Jesus, go into heaven. Grace life. Let me just kindly and excitedly remind you today, the church is all about Jesus. The church is not a place. 
It's not about a place. It's not about Loveless Park. It's not about Shadow Lake. The church is not about a philosophy. The church is not about a program. We've got some good programs here. Some need to stay. Some need to go, quite honestly. But those things don't define church because the church is not about those things. The church isn't a place. It's not a philosophy. It's not programs. The church is Jesus. It's about him. It's by him. And it's for him. It's built around him. You can't have Christianity without Christ. And not Maybe your weak little self-constructed idea of Jesus. See, that's what we want to do a lot of times. We want to kind of shape Jesus into the image that we want him to be in. Let me just say, Jesus is never, ever, ever the clay. He is always the potter. He is not shaped or formed by human hands. He is God very God. We're tempted oftentimes, and many try to make Jesus in their own image, but we got to remember who he is. He's Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. He's lion and lamb. He's the defeater of death and sin in the grave. He's the crusher of Satan's head. He's the Holy One and the righteous judge. And the book of Acts is all about him. Moving in this movement, in and through people, men and women, from every tongue and tribe and nation, to take the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yes, Grace Life, we are about to move, but we are not about to stop moving, because we are in this movement that is about Jesus. And from Jesus and for Jesus. All right, so let's talk about Acts here. We believe, for good reason, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, that a, a human author that the Holy Spirit used to write the book of Acts was a man by the name of Luke. He happened to be a physician. Probably wasn't a Jew. He probably was a Gentile. More than likely, he was from a place called Antioch. And in our study in the book of Acts, we're going to get to that place, and we'll learn more about that in the weeks to come. Luke, we don't believe Luke was a disciple of Jesus. In fact, it's not likely that Luke saw with his own eyes the works and the earthly ministry of Jesus. He probably learned of the works and words of Jesus later on. After coming to faith in Christ, we know that he joined the Apostle Paul on his travels, which, by the way, for Paul was a good thing. Paul needed a doctor many times. He kind of became Paul's cut man in the ring. Paul got banged up a lot, so it served him well to have Dr. Luke with him. And this also then gave Luke the opportunity not only to be around Paul, but to be around people like Peter and James and John and others. So while he himself may have never seen Jesus in his earthly ministry, he knew very well the people that had. And he heard their stories. He heard their first eye witness accounts and this gave him Luke the opportunity to write more of the New Testament than any other human author you go what about Paul he wrote a lot of books Paul wrote more books than Luke but if you do a word count Luke wrote more than Paul wrote look at verse 1 Luke says in the first book O Theophilus I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In the first book, what, what book is that? Luke. Good class. It's the book of Luke. And he says, Theophilus, in that first book, I wrote about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. Do and teach. That's both the works and the words of Jesus. Some people call that the, the divine knot. You cannot separate the works from the words of Jesus. Oh, but people want to. Everybody likes the works of Jesus. Nobody ever puts up a fuss about the works of Jesus. We like the version of Jesus that heals people and feeds people and raises the dead and drives out money changers. We all are fans of the works of Jesus. But it's the words of Jesus that sometimes we and others want to separate out and say, well, we're not all about that. In fact, it wasn't the works of Jesus that got Jesus crucified. It was what he said. 
It was his words. It was who he claimed to be. He did claim to be God. Don't let anybody tell you, Jesus never claimed to be God. He did. It's clear in the gospel accounts. He claimed to be God. He claimed to have even existed before their father Abraham. They didn't like that. He even said crazy things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. But we got to remember, church, you can't separate the words from the works of Jesus. That divine knot is together and it can't be separated. You cannot only admire his works. We must also believe and receive his words. This is not a la carte. This is who Jesus is. He is the summation of his works and his words. So verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And he notice he said just began. You see, that was key. Don't miss that. Jesus was just getting started in the Gospels. Doing and teaching. Now, who's this Theophilus guy? Well, the short answer is we really don't know for sure. A lot of good speculation is that Theophilus was probably from the same town that Dr. Luke was from, probably Antioch. And Antioch was the first place that the church sent out missionaries to the world. Paul and Barnabas and Luke left out of Antioch. It's possible that Theophilus, Theophilus was a well-respected, sort of well-to-do, well-off sort of person in the church at Antioch. And seeing the mission work that was to take place... Some speculate that Theophilus might have underwrote a lot of the expense of that mission work. And then Luke, maybe, as missionaries would still do today, would send Theophilus a report. So in his travels with Paul and interactions with people like Peter and James and John, he was able to write to his friend back home and say, let me tell you about the words and works of Jesus that he began to do. And so he writes under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, what we call the Gospel of Luke. But then as his missionary travels continue with the Apostle Paul, and they're getting to see what Jesus is still doing and still teaching, right? Because Luke, Jesus was just getting started. Now it's Jesus through all these people, right? And so he turns around and he writes Theophilus, a second book that you and I are going to be reading now called the book of Acts. So in verse 1 he says, I wrote to you, Theophilus, the story of how Jesus began to do and teach, but then it's like Luke says here, but that's not the end. That's just the beginning of what Jesus is doing in this world. Look at verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he did that through the Holy Spirit, by the way. Remember that. You're, you're going to see the Holy Spirit all throughout the book of Acts. And he presented himself, that's Jesus, alive to them, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So in other words, this is Luke saying, Theophilus, if you think the stuff I told you in the book of Luke was cool, that's not all. <laughs> but wait, that's not all. He says, because Jesus went on to rise from the dead and he spent 40 days with his apostles, his disciples during those 40 days. And he gave them many convincing proofs that he was truly alive. He said, you can touch the scars if you want to. You can feel the holes in my hands from the nails and my side from the spear. One morning, they're out fishing. And they got nothing in the nets all night long. And then they don't know it, but Jesus just decides to walk up on the beach, and he cooks breakfast for them. He was dead, and now he's cooking breakfast. And they ate it. This was a real person. This is Real food. Jesus really came back to life. This is not a rumor. By the way, that is the reason why these men who were cowardly disciples running for their lives at the day that Jesus died. That's why after they see him resurrected, they're never running away from danger and fear. They're running to it fearlessly. Because they knew that Jesus had conquered death. That sting had been removed. And verse 4 says... While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Don't you like it when Jesus tells you to wait? <laughs> he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus, 40 days he spends with them, talking with them, showing them he's really alive. 
And then he says, listen, you're about to go into the world and you're about to make disciples, but don't go yet. Don't start doing ministry yet. I, I want you to, to wait right now. You've got to wait until the Holy Spirit comes to you. Here, here's why this is necessary. The ministry of Jesus doesn't end when he ascends back into heaven at the end of the book of Luke. Think about this. The earthly ministry of Jesus was Jesus in one set of skin. But now he's telling his disciples, I'm about to send my spirit to you, and I'm going to live in your skin, and your skin, and your skin, and your skin. I'm going to live in your skin. We're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to live over there because I'm going to be in your skin. And we're going to go here. And we're going to work here because I'm going to be in your skin. So don't you go anywhere until I send my Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to take up residence in you. See, the ministry, the works, the words of Jesus don't end in the book of Luke. They're continuing on in the book of Acts. And they're continuing on today because Jesus is in our skin through the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. In his earthly ministry, Jesus was in one body, but now he's in many bodies that collectively make up his body. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you, and I'll be in your skin. And the words and the works of Jesus are going to keep going through men and women to the ends of the earth. You get that? Let me just say, Grace Life, this is what should be defining us. Jesus in our skin, living his life through our lives. Is that happening in your life? How'd you experience Jesus in your skin last week? How did you just know this isn't me in this moment, this is him? I am watching him do something through, in and through me. He is doing something here. That's what he intends to be happening here. Let me, let me be clear about this. He's not given us his Holy Spirit to improve our lives. He didn't give us the Holy Spirit to make us a little more comfortable. He didn't just give us the Holy Spirit to increase the quality of our life. He didn't give us the Holy Spirit so we could showcase our glory to the world. The Holy Spirit has not come to you to make much of you. The Holy Spirit has come to give you power, to give you power to be an effective witness for Jesus, because this is his movement. It's all about him, and it's from him, and it's for him, and he's called us into this movement. And the only way we can be effective for his glory in this movement is by the power of his presence, his spirit living residing in us, inhabiting our skin, working in and through us to carry out this movement and the mission of Jesus to all the world. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. They want information. Well, we need information. Give us some information, Lord. We need information. And the Lord comes back and goes, it's not information you need. You need power. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I, look, I, I, just, I, I appreciate where the church has been for the last hundred years and my lifetime where the church has been. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think the church has been infatuated with information. Just come on, Jesus. Give us more information. Give us more information. Can somebody break out a chart, please? We need another chart because we need more information. I just need more information, and I need more knowledge. We're just like the disciples going, I got these questions, Jesus. Could you just answer all the questions? Could you just give me a book that's got all the answers? I just need more information. If you're going to leave me on this planet, then I need all the information I can get. And I'm not telling you information is bad, but I'm telling you I am concerned that we have placed information above the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm not giving you that information. I'm giving you something far better. I'm giving you me. I'm giving you the power of my Holy Spirit. This is why sweet friends were confused when I said we don't need another Bible study. We don't need more Bible studies that leave us in Bible study. 
We don't need more small groups that leave us in small groups. We don't need more Sunday school classes that leave us in Sunday school classes. Information is not the end all, be all. It is the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit in us, through us. Jesus living in our skin. That's what we ought to be about. I'm not anti that stuff. I'm just pro Holy Spirit of God in our skin. Does that clear it up for anybody? Because some of y'all are really confused. I'm just saying, I believe God's calling us to reprioritize our priorities at Grace Life. Not to eliminate one for the sake of the other, but man, we got to get lined up with the heart of Jesus here. They wanted to have a Bible study. Jesus, could you lead a Bible study on the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, not now. That's not for you to worry about right now. Right now, I want you to focus on, I'm going to give you my presence. And I'm going to live in and through your skin. And you're, look at what he says, verse 8. You'll see power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It's not about sitting in a room. It's about going out and being witnesses. That's what it's about. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit not to reveal all these mysteries to you. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit so you'll be my witnesses in this world. In Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus says, don't start doing stuff until the Holy Spirit comes to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you're going to receive power. The word power there is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. If somebody lit off a stick of dynamite in here today, you think somebody would know that? Oh, yeah. We'd know. You're never going to mistake power of dynamite when it goes boom and he says this power of the holy spirit is dynamite so jesus says you wait for the holy spirit to come to you and when he does boom so that's going to happen and you're going to stand back and go that was jesus that, that wasn't a preacher that was jesus did jude like that hey jude what's up man we're so glad to have Jude in here today. He's a bit of a distraction for me, by the way, but it's a holy distraction. I love it. And you're talking about the Holy Spirit showing up. All you got to do is look at that little fella, and you see Holy Spirit power in his life. Holy Spirit shows up, and boom. Let me just tell you, that's what I signed up for. I'm blessed, man. I, my parents in this room, they raised me in the Lord, raised me in the church. I'm beyond words grateful for that. I've sat through hundreds and hundreds of Sunday school classes and Bible studies and small groups, led those, pastored through those, started those, launched those, challenged you to get in those, push y'all. Still do, always will, always will. Because you got to eat. But the defining moment of my life didn't happen in a church building. It didn't happen in a class. It didn't happen in a church service it happened in a secular job where I punched my time card and I just showed up to my job and a week earlier a young man tried to do me in with a baseball bat and seven days later same young man for reasons to this day I still don't understand out of the blue as if a stick of dynamite went off looks at me and says, Mr. Jewel, what do I have to do to be saved? And I got to tell somebody how to be saved. Nineteen, been in church my whole life, but I'd never heard the boom like I heard it on that Friday night. And my ears are still ringing nearly 30 years later never gotten over that I never wanted to do anything else but to be where the dynamite is you know I think that's what a lot of you are wanting and desiring I think a lot of you are, are like me who are just thinking we can't be going to all this trouble to relocate and get over there and just keep doing religious stuff. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you as I can be. I, I've been doing this as your pastor for seven, almost 17 years. 
I don't know how many more years God will allow me to do it, but I don't want to do one more year like I've been doing it. Not, not that it's all been wrong. or I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But shouldn't we as God's people, we talked about this in our prayer group this morning, shouldn't we as God's people embrace this doctrine of sanctification? As followers of Jesus, why would we wake up today and say, I want the same experience of Jesus that I had yesterday? Isn't it the Spirit of God in us that says, you want to be more like Him today than you were yesterday? You want to be transformed more into his image today than you were yesterday. And I'm just saying collectively as a church, that's what I think the Spirit of God is saying. We're going to move, but we're not going to stop moving. We're going to keep moving in the progression of being transformed more and more into the reflection and image of who the head of this movement is, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we will be filled and controlled by his spirit, his dynamite power in us, so that we will be effective witnesses to every tongue and tribe and nation. This, this thing called Loveless Park Grace Life started 80 years ago. And think about this. There's way more people on the planet now that need Jesus than then. Austin Clevenger was in the first service. And I said, man, your mama, she's almost lived to be 100 here. But you have way more opportunity to make an impact in this world for Jesus than she did. Because think of all the opportunities you got in the year 2021. So if we're sitting here going, well, let's just move over there and do more of the same. No, thank you. I want to be where the boom is. I want to be where the Holy Spirit is working and at work. Because when He shows up, things are going to change. And what's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit for? To make us witnesses to all the world. If you're a born-again child of God, you know you're saved. Would you just raise your hand? You know what that means? It means the Holy Spirit's already living in you. He's already there. The moment you repented of your sin, you trusted Christ to save you, the Holy Spirit came. Take up residence in your heart. You're now the temple of God. He lives in you. For what? To help you fulfill your desires and dreams? To help you get drafted in the NFL one day? Is that when the Holy Spirit came in? To make life better? To make you more comfortable? No. Holy Spirit come into your life so you can put on a show on a Sunday morning at your church? Draw a lot of attention to yourself? Is that why the Holy Spirit came? No. Holy Spirit, the moment you trusted Christ, Holy Spirit came into you so that Him through you might bring somebody else to Jesus and somebody else to Jesus that you might be His witnesses to all the world. If you're saved, you are a witness. Are you a good one? Are you a faithful one? Are you a credible one? Effectively. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, wait a minute. This doesn't add up. Because I am saved. Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But I'm just not really... I know He's there. But as far as like Jesus in my skin and through my life, and like boom, like effective witness, like lives being changed around me because of Jesus in me, in my skin... Why am I not seeing that? If he's in me, why, am I, why is that not my experience, Pastor? Holy Spirit's in me. Why is my experience just kind of, I love Jesus. I love the church. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to fight the uh, desire to roll over in the bed on Sunday morning. And I'm going to come to church. And I'm going to do all the right. Why is that it for me, Pastor? Why is there no boom? I can tell you why there's oftentimes no boom. In my life. It's not a failure of the Holy Spirit. It's on me. I often do one of two. Sometimes both things. And you probably do too. You can write it down. Number one. We oftentimes grieve the Holy Spirit. God says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? He lives in you, right? And when we sin against God, when we commit sin, we disobey God's word, we grieve the Holy Spirit. He's grieved. No, look, he's not gone. Praise the Lord. But he's grieved. 
you've parented any length of time, you, you know what that grief feels like. You love your children. You've laid out the instruction. Made it clear. And they just totally, not because they didn't listen, they totally chose to disobey. And it grieves us. Because we want a better relationship. We, we don't want our children to mind because of the rule. We want it to be relationship. And I think that's so much the way how the Holy Spirit feels. But our relationship. Why? Why would you disobey God? His word. He loves you. He has his best in mind for you. And so we grieve him when we disobey God's word. And he stays grieved. Until we confess. And repent. Another way that we may be, a reason we may not be experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not only are we grieving the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes we're quenching the Holy Spirit. God says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Say, Pastor, what's the difference between grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit? Well, one deals with sins of commission, one deals with sins of omission. So when I commit sins, I do the wrong things. I do things that are sinful. That's sin of commission. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit then. But when the Holy Spirit puts good things in front of me, you know, the Bible says He's already prepared good works for us to walk in. And when He lines my foot up with that good work that I'm supposed to walk in, and I don't walk in that, I'm not doing the good thing that I'm supposed to do, that's a sin of omission. I'm quenching the Holy Spirit. See the difference? I do the wrong thing, I grieve him. I don't do the right thing, I quench him. Holy Spirit says, I want you to show the love of Jesus to this person. And Holy Spirit lights the fuse. He's ready to go boom in and through my skin, right? And I go, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't really, I'm busy. I don't really have the time. I got to feel that tug in my heart, Holy Spirit. But how about next time? And I snuff it out, right? I quench it. Or the Holy Spirit says, hey, share Jesus with that person. Let them know how they can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And Holy Spirit's got the stick of dynamite lit and ready to boom in somebody's life. And for me to get the joy from watching that and hearing that boom happen, and I go, yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm not really, I don't really know them that well. And, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on. It's probably not the right time and place as if I know better than the Holy Spirit time and place, right? As I go, nah, psh, and I just quench the Holy Spirit. Grieving and quenching. And I ask you this question, Grace Life. What if just for one week, just for one week, all of us, by God's power, not one time this week, not one time do we quench the Holy Spirit? Can you just let your imagination run for a minute? The hundreds of people that gather here today in the name of Jesus walk out of this place and for the next seven days, for 24 hours a day, for those seven days, not one of us will not for one moment quench the Spirit of God. Can you imagine? Boom, 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 boom. We wouldn't be able to have church next week. Sunday school teachers wouldn't be able to teach their lesson because the people in their class can't stop talking about the boom. I wouldn't be able to deliver the sermon because people are just talking about, let me tell you what I saw Jesus do. I know it wasn't me. There's no explanation. It had to be him. Do you want that? Anybody want that? I do. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for you, my church family. I want to belong to a movement where that is happening. Are you really part of this Jesus movement? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you just showing up at the institution and exchanging some religious goods and services? 
Are you really part of the movement? Are you helping Grace Life to be in the movement? Or are you encouraging Grace Life just to be institutionalized? Movements move. Disciples multiply. You discipling somebody into a relationship with Jesus? If not, but you want to, I want to talk to you because I want to too. What about your small group, your Sunday school class? Does it bug you that maybe you're, maybe not, maybe not, but maybe so. Maybe you got a small group or Sunday school class. They're not moving. They're maintaining. They're not multiplying. They're maintaining. And that's bugging you a little bit. I'd love to talk to you because that's bugging me a little bit too. Are you trying to figure out what life for you, filled with the Spirit in the middle of this movement, is going to look like? I want to talk to you. Because I'm trying to figure that out too. I don't want the same. I don't want to go back down a path where I've already come from. You want to keep doing church in a safe, sterile, controlled, predictable, non-reproductive bubble? I'd love to talk to you, but not about that. Because I've done that. By God's help, I'm trying to get out of that. If you've been grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit in your life, You're not alone. Me too. I don't want to. Man, I'm glad Jesus didn't quench the spirit. When he said, you go to the cross and give your life for the ransom of many. I don't want to quench. I don't want to grieve. Spirit God in me. I don't think you do either. I don't think there's a lot of you in this room that today, if you had the opportunity to sign up for more of the same, would sign up. I don't think there's many of you that would do that. What do we need to do today? We need to fully surrender and Holy Spirit just take over. Totally yielded and surrendered. I want you to fill me and I want you to control me. I, I do believe God's working in a lot of hearts around here. I do believe there's a holy hunger and a divine discontentment to know Jesus more. And to walk in the fullness and the power of his Holy Spirit. I believe with all my heart that stirring. Multiple hearts here. We want Jesus, don't we? We want him to live in our skin. Here's our job. Then I got to get out of here. You say, how does that happen? Well, Jesus in our skin doesn't happen by anything that we do. Jesus in and through our skin is a re reflection and a response of God to us, not because of what we do, but because of the posture that we take. Let me give you three words. Prayer, worship, humility. If the people of God will position themselves before God in prayer and in worship, and in humility, then I believe we will experience the fullness of God's presence and spirit and power in our skin and through our lives. God, that's what we desire, and I am really struggling to find the words 
say to myself and to say to others what I sense you're trying to lead us to and lead me to. I don't have the words to describe it, and I don't have the words to put it into a prayer. And so this is one of those moments, Lord, I'm thankful that your Holy Spirit's praying with us and for us. God, I just know that we don't want to stop moving. And we just know that it's gotten really too quiet in our lives. And we want to hear the thunderous sound of the power of God echoing off hearts and lives in this world. In the book of Luke, it was through Jesus he began to do and teach. Now it's your purpose and plan that it would be in us that Jesus is still working and proclaiming the truth of who he is. God, give us grace to not try to run ahead, but to be still and to wait in prayer and in worship and in humility. And would you unleash your Holy Spirit on us, in us, through us, that we might be effective witnesses for Jesus in this world. That's it. That's the prayer. In Jesus' name, let's stand. I was asked this week. Well, first of all, somebody said, hey, I came to your church last week for the first time. Nobody spoke to me. He said, I'm, I'm sure that probably has something to do with COVID. I said, yeah, it probably does have something to do with COVID. Um, but first of all, let's fix that. All right? I got to start talking and greeting and meeting and fellowshipping and inviting and hanging out again. One. Two. Their second question was, this true story. He came to church uh, last week. First time. And he said, um, is it okay if people come to the altar and pray? I said, yeah, that actually kind of used to happen a lot. He said, COVID? I said, uh, yeah, I guess maybe COVID. I'm just telling you, there's freedom today at the altar, in your seat, or wherever you may be. And uh, I think it's just time we stop making excuses, okay? And I'm not saying go back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal. Please don't sign me up to get on the bus to go back to normal. I want to go to Boomville. That's where I want to go. Let's worship. Let's worship from the depths of our heart.